Hello and welcome to the Pinstripe Valley Podcast. The Yankees not doing well. They haven't gotten a lot better since the last time we talked. I'm Andrew Mearns. Uh, Kunj is not here this week. He is, as we discussed, away on the other side of the world. Blessedly escaped from the New York Yankees. Instead, joining me is uh, an old friend. He used to be the editor of Beyond the Box Score, and he's straight at Pinstripe Alley as well. And then we got uh, Matt Provenzano in. How you doing? Hello, everyone. How's it going? It's going good. Um, I think the last time that we podcasted was around the time that another young pitcher named Luis was taking the mound as a rookie and capturing our attention in 2015, except it was Severino instead of Heel. Yeah, it's kind of weird, you know, coming back on here and, and thinking about sort of the symmetry or like lack of symmetry in seeing all of the promise um, and, and a lot of it justified because they have played well over the last few years in all of these young players and now this year almost having like a crisis of identity and apparently now the blue jays are just good again so there's that joy too <laughs> yeah exactly yeah and uh, i guess it, this also has a bit of an element of the severino thing where he was sort of getting by on being good rookie newcomer with lots of stuff but didn't exactly hold up the next year so hopefully luis heels 2022 20, does not go like luis severino's 2016 yeah, I mean, like we've always talked about, if you're relying on him, there's obviously bigger problems. So I, I'm sort of of the opinion that even if it's two pitches at the moment, that's probably fine for their purposes to get through the rest of the year. And then you actually should come up with a plan for pitchers for the following year and not just rely on, you know, Corey Kluber being your, you know, your number two pitcher. Yeah, yeah, you might have something there. Yeah, I should, uh, I guess, clarify for our audience's purposes. We are recording this during Louis Hill's start on um, Wednesday night. It was when the podcast recording made the most sense. So we'll be sort of having some vague mid-game commentary for a game that's already happened in the past by the time this goes up. So very useful. But Louis Hill is already out of the game because he walked seven guys, which is, uh, I think, not what you want. No. No runs yet, but, you know, that's... Uh, that's not going to last very deep in the ballgame. Nope, you would put that on the FIP scoreboard for sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a rough, rough time for the Yankees since pretty much the end of their 13-game winning streak. They're 2-8 and eight in the last 10 games. The last time that uh, we podcasted was just before Garrett Cole's start before his most recent start when he pitched very well against the Angels and briefly got them back on track. And then they lost two out of three to the Orioles at home and got pounded by the Blue Jays in back-to-back nights. And Garrett Cole also got injured in that second start. So it has been a rough, rough time. Yeah, I was, so we were talking about this before the podcast started, but so I was at the game last night or this would be, you know, on the podcast two nights ago. Um, and I was also at the game on Friday night when they actually did win the game. So I, because of COVID, I, I saw one game right after I got vaccinated, and that was a that awful first game against the Red Sox, um, where Devers hits that three-run home run. The game is just like completely over from the start. And then these last two games, even though they won the Friday night game, have had almost identical feels. But I thought, you know, oh, they're going to be playing well at that time. And I feel like this has been obviously people have said like a Jekyll and Hyde season. Um, you know, every week you get a different character and I feel like I'm not a gambling person and not in New York, but I feel inclined to when I know that they're in a particular groove. Yeah, they have been exceptionally streaky this year. And John Rimmer had a good post uh, the other day talking about there have been very few teams actually in Yankees history that have been both capable of reeling off like a 13 game winning streak or playing that well for a significant stretch and also playing as bad as they've looked at different times. Like it's only happened, I think, in his post. It was like five other times in Yankees history that we found from baseball reference stat head. But it's 
it's it's exceptionally weird for this uh, to be going on back and forth at the same time in the same season. The great side is that it takes a very talented club to do something like winning 13 in a row, but it's not something that you should be counting on. And the Yankees need to snap themselves out of this run in a hurry, or they're not even going to get a chance to like go deep in the playoffs or anything like that. Yeah. I feel like this is a really interesting season for like testing your own hypotheses of like why things happen in baseball. Like I feel like sometimes when seasons get too predictable or like, you know, there have been years that have been comparable to this in certain aspects or at certain times, but the, like I said, the feeling when it's going a certain way, it's going to stay that way, like indefinitely, I feel like definitely changes your perspective on like, well, there's obviously something else going on here. It's yeah. either something, you know, mental or it's something coaching. And all you can really do is pull like the WFAN card and just like, oh, I'm just going to guess and just throw something at the wall. But there's clearly something else under the surface going on for them to go into these like wild dips and valleys. Yeah. And it's, particularly the offense, because, you know, the pitching has still been pretty steady the entire time. Like the starters have done their job outside of uh, Corey Kluber coming back from his uh, injury. And, you know, even those starts haven't been like totally backbreaking. A decent offense may at least make some of those games competitive. But you just see how they've fallen into just a complete slide after looking like they were in a bit of a groove. You had Giancarlo Stan, who, you know, he had the Friday walk-off against the Orioles, but that's pretty much it been it from him over the past week. Judge is like over his last 21. Voight's not hitting. Gallo's looked completely lost pretty much since day one in New York. So that's not helpful. And it hasn't exactly helped that uh, Labor Torres and Gio Rochella came up IL and have just been completely lost to the plate. And the field, yeah. for that matter. Yeah, I've, I've kind of come to the conclusion that, like, the individual streaks have, like, mattered less to me. And I feel like the three players that have mattered the most are, like, Urshela, Torres, and LeMahieu. Like, I feel like if they were oh, yeah. even semblance of normal, I don't think we would really be having this conversation. Um, because, again, I feel like this has led to a real identity crisis. But when you really break it down, I feel like the thinking that Cashman had about the pitching was actually kind of correct, even though I still disagree with it. It was, well we have enough arms and we can pluck enough arms like with our scouting that and our, with our pro scouting that like, it's fine. We can, if we lose guys, we can just like get a guy like a Lucas Lickie or a Clay Holmes or whatever, and we'll ride it out. And that was right. But for whatever reason, the players that are legitimately supposed to be good aren't. And there's, yeah, there's really no good explanation for it that you can even break down numerically. Yeah. Like the two hitters that have basically carried the offense this season are just, Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stan. And when they're not hitting, then the entire team's not hitting because there have been very few instances this year when anyone else in the lineup has, you know, stepped up for a little bit. Like Luke Voigt had his one player of the week thing. Gary Sanchez has had his uh, ups and downs. But, you know, for the most part, it's been all Stanton and Judge. And if they're not doing much, then sorry, it's pretty bleak out there. Yeah, I mean, like, to some degree, I, I, I know people probably get mad that, like, LeMahieu is still batting first or whatever, but I feel like, again, it's like, to some degree, what are, else are you going to do? Yeah, like, How maybe there's another there's another way you line up, maybe get it so that you are guaranteeing that Judge and Stan are batting the most, but when they're, like, the main guys, and on Wednesday night, they took LeMahieu out, put Gardner number one, that's not really an answer either, because... Gardner is, should be retiring at the end of the season. And if he's not, then that's fine. <laughs> right. So, yeah, not a lot of answers. And I feel like now with this recent stretch, even, even more questions. Yeah. 
And <laughs> we should mention that now the Yankees are behind three, nothing in this game. So that's uh, right. I'm sure. Yeah. And this will be either really funny if they end up winning it in a wild and spectacular fashion, or, you know, again, you put the money on the table right now and you know, that they're going to lose the game. So it's, yeah, it's like the uh, the Kunj thing where he's like, you know, prove me wrong, Yankees, and then we'll see <laughs> yeah. if that actually happens. And hey, they're welcome to do that. But uh, that's it's it's a tough time <laughs> for the Yankees right now. And as you said, may, there's maybe something going on like behind the scenes where we have to play annoying WFAN guy. They're like, oh man, was uh, is Boone doing enough? Is Marcus Tim's doing enough? But something's not getting through, and I don't really know what it is. Yeah, you know, I at the beginning of the year, I was 100% buying into the boon hate. Like I, I was actually feeling it more and more, but I think in my mind, something changed like around that sort of like real crisis point. I feel, I feel like it was like the end of May, like June ish area where like you realize that this was just going to continue. And then he started actually managing like correctly. I don't know how else to say it. Like the biggest one for me was like when Chapman isn't good, he actually warms somebody up. Like yeah. he generally lines up his hotter pitchers, like relief pitchers when they're good against in the most high leverage situations. So I feel like he kind of got smart and he didn't take, you know, any liberties. I feel like when the Yankees had better records the past few years and he's had more like room, he would do that thing where he would just, oh, well, if I use this picture here and I save it an inning there, I can use them later. And he's like moving everything on a chessboard. And I feel like he managed a lot better when things were a little bit more like in the moment. So I feel like at now, okay, that's off the table in my mind. Okay. Well, what else is it? It's the hitters, you know, need to hit like this. I don't, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know what else to say without sending WFAN. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what it comes down to at the end of the day. And I think there's a tendency for people to say, oh, yeah, just it's all the manager's fault. It's all the coach's fault. But, you know, you count on these hitters to actually be productive. And maybe there is something that you can say where it's concerning that Glaber Torres has not really developed much in the past couple of years. And yes, that's valid. But like the hitters have just have to do better, especially some of these guys who are veterans who have been in the league for years. They should not need like managerial babysitting, you know? Yeah, I feel like the LeMahieu one, again, to me, is the bigger one. I feel like Urshela and Torres make more sense because they're, again, you're taking a player, like, they're, it was all based on them taking a player, tweaking them, and making them better. While LeMahieu, I feel like the changes he had made made him otherworldly good. And I feel like it's even possible for the same player who's physically the same. I mean, I was watching a play earlier in this game where he just took, like, a 93-mile-per-hour fastball, like, dead red, and just, like, oh, just, like, foul it off to, like, the side. Like, he just makes no like solid contact on pitches in the middle of the zone. And that was really big early in the season where they had so many pitches inside the zone, they were just like completely missing on. Like their patience wasn't bad and they were taking long at bats, but for whatever reason, they're not jumping on pitches that are strikes in the zone. And that is to me like very confounding. Yeah. And something else we should mention that I don't think like small ball is not really the answer either because you know, you got to get the home runs. They've been getting singles here and there, but when you're not piecing the singles in the same inning, then they're not really leading to much. Andrew Velasquez is not really the answer. Like he had a nice little hot streak and that was great. Tyler Wade had a nice little hot streak. That's great. But those are not the guys that you're counting on. And that's just, it's not likely to sustain itself. So sorry. Yeah. I feel like, again, that just for me, like, I feel like it was, it was Boone covering himself to make sure that he like sort of covered that flank of the criticism of him because he did all of that. Like yeah, he, Greg Allen and Jonathan Davis and yeah, Velasquez and Bunting and every, like literally every play when they sort of had those COVID injuries, every play was situational. They were constantly 
like bunting players over and run and like it worked just because it just so happened that those close games that they played every day just like happened to break in the right way and I feel like that has been more of the story of the season is like they're good because their pitching is good and it keeps them in the game but that basically means that every game is going to look identical you're going to it's going to be like right now it's three nothing but it'll always be within a two or three run game no matter what because they're yeah they're just not scoring the runs so then if it just happens to break right they've been lucky enough or good enough to win, you know, whatever it is, 60% of those games that they're, they are close. Yeah. And we're hitting into the part of the season where it's harder to get by in those because of all this action in close games, these relievers are getting exhausted. And we've already seen Jonathan Lewiska hit the IL. That was a big blow because he's probably been the best reliever in the American League this season, but he's had to be used a lot. Chad Green has been used the second most, I believe, of any relief pitcher in the American League. And while he's been pretty good, points here and there where, you know, he just left a bad pitch in the middle of the play and has gotten smoked. And I mean, part of that is on green, but part of that is I'm not sure if um, if he makes that mistake, if he's getting enough rest. But because Boone's hand has sort of been forced by all these close games, he's still trying to manage the bullpen, not pitch anyone in three days in a row or anything like that. But it's still just a lot of duress. Yeah, I feel like them getting rid of that, the 40-man rule burns them on both ends. Yeah, they can't throw players into into uh, blowouts, but they also don't ever, because they're going to play some bad teams over the next couple of weeks. That That's like their real window to like close the gap and sort of solidify their wildcard position. And I think that's when you would see the 40 man of the Orioles, you'd see the 40 man of Cleveland. And that's when you could sort of feast on them. They won't have that opportunity. Yeah. And, you know, green has been another one that's been really strange for me because that one is like, the classic kaleidoscope example where you can't tell who's bad decision-making it is. Like, is it him? Is it, you know, Sanchez or Kagashioka? Is it the managerial staff? Because the big thing with him is that he would just keep going to the curveball, even though it stunk. And his fastball has been good, but he would either locate it poorly, you know, low in the zone, or like I said, he would just keep going back to the well of the curveball and just get burned by it. And I just like, don't understand why he would consistently have that bad pitch selection um, like in these tight spots, but then you look at his numbers. I, this is like the first time I've really looked at all the numbers, like if for the purposes of like a podcast or whatever, I mean, I'll look like at the Yankees leaderboard, but you know, right. when you're writing an article or you do a podcast, you're looking at every cross tab or whatever. And I'm like, I didn't even realize that Chad Green had like a three ERA. And I'm like, yeah, that surprises me. But the punctuation marks really matter because I feel like that's where he'll be pitching is where the sequencing of pitches matter the most in the biggest games of the year. So I don't know. It is definitely like concerning for me. Yeah. And he's still having a good season overall. And I probably with Luesca out, I trust him more than anyone else in the bullpen. Cause I, you know, Aroulis Chapman is shaky as hell again. So that's uh that's its own high wire act. And then that means you're going to other guys for these big guys. We see Lucas Lickie a lot, and he's been pretty good. Clay Holmes has been a terrific acquisition. Wandy Peralta had a great stretch, but he's clearly tiring out a little bit after having been counted on a lot in late August. So it forces you to eventually you know, put important innings in the hands of Andrew Heaney and Brooks Krisky, and they blew games over the weekend, so that didn't help. <laughs> yeah, so I feel like the Heaney thing like the Heaney situation is the one thing where I genuinely don't understand like what Cashman was thinking when he did that I mean I made it made sense in the sense like oh you just need a body like that's gonna throw innings but you see the other moves they make like again it was funny I went to the game last night and um and my friend is a Pirates fan Clay Holmes I think I think he 
he let up the home run to Kirk, but he got struck out the two, the first two batters easily. And he was like, even he was like surprised, like he, all these pitchers they would get, there'd be some reason. Like usually if they acquire a big league player, there's some reason why they want to acquire them. And they think, oh, if we make this change here. And I feel like at first with Heaney, it was like, oh, maybe we'll pitch his fastballs more up in the zone and then go down in the zone with the, uh, you know, the breaking stuff. But it's just clear that he's just not good. And I, I don't think even the adjustments will particularly matter. And yeah, I, I just sort of feel like they're, they did a really good job spinning those plates, but they unfortunately are just like one, one man short there. Yeah. And the Heaney thing, I still don't know how he had that one good outing against the Red Sox. And honestly, that probably gave him like, it was both a blessing and a curse and that it, they won that game. And that was big, obviously against a wild card competitor, like the Red Sox, maybe count it like twice as valuable, but then he got lit up in the next two starts and it's just been bad. So this is just what Andrew Heaney is. And ideally we only see him in like complete garbage time, but We'll see how much the bullpen has to be used just to keep these games close while the offense isn't giving them much support. Right. Yeah, it's 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 a tough stretch right now. And there's it's coming up pretty much the worst point of the season. And honestly, the Yankees are really lucky this week because pretty much everyone else in the wildcard hunt has played like crap other than, you know, their opponent, the Blue Jays, because the Red Sox have been pounded by the Rays. The Mariners barely avoided a sweep of the Astros and the A's who got swept by the Blue Jays just before this series have continued to do not much either. So the Yankees have been able to hang on to that half game lead in the top wildcard spot. And they're still like, I think, two and a half games in front Toronto as we record uh, entering Wednesday's play. But that's a lead that could rapidly shrink with this Blue Jays team finally reaching its full potential. Yeah, I, I think that pretty much this is what like Rob Manfred would want generally, right? I, I feel like the parity situation is is exactly I mean it's good for in the sense that it's a it's a really actually exciting race. And you saw, you know, the Blue Jays getting, you know, Barrios and actually trying to put the chips forward despite they're pretty early into their into their whole contention window. Mm-hmm. And the Yankees not that they weren't trying, but like I said, they went into the year, you know, even though things went in a way that they didn't expect completely and not really, you know, for fault of the roster construction, my overarching belief is still they went in with like, okay, let's just like cross our fingers a little bit. Um, and it worked out in the reverse that they thought, but I feel like why even do that? I mean, clearly, you know, the Blue Jays putting their chips in now has made this like legitimately close. They're going to be good now for years to come. So like this was the opportunity to beat the Blue Jays while they're quote unquote not as good when, you know, you're going to be in the peak of, you know, Vlad Jr.'s and uh, and Bo Bichette's career. And I feel like they're entering in sort of an era where the AL East is going to be really, really hard to compete in year to year. And then you see teams like the Mariners who, you know, they had to have their fan base sort of like shout them down before selling. Um, but it kept them in the race pretty much. So seeing certain teams, you know, pinch a little bit closer and see another team, other teams like the Yankees sort of pinch backwards, like the Red Sox too, trading bets and, and, and like doing two steps forward, one step back on purpose is like you have all of the teams self-enforcing themselves the way that the league kind of wants. Um, like I said, it's good in the sense that it's a good race. But as a Yankee fan, personally, you know that they, that they could have put their chips in. But at the trade deadline, they, they did do that. Yeah, I was going to say, like, uh, obviously, the offseason is a spot where 
a lot of people, myself included, feel like that probably should have done a little bit more and not have obviously not have been afraid of the luxury tax threshold. I mean, the Dodgers sure weren't, so they're in a pretty good position right now. I know the Giants are giving them a run for their money, but no one could have ever predicted that. And they're still probably going to be in a good position entering the playoffs regardless. So why are we trying to get cute with it? You know, the Giants, I think, are a really great example of that because they like fly in the face of all that conventionalism. But when yeah. you really break it down, like what are they but a mid 2000s Yankee? You know, like that's really what they are. Like they put themselves together with scraps and parts for the pitching that worked out, but also some, you know, high praise veterans like Cueto pitch quality innings. Like, and then you have these position players they spent good money on and are old. But it's not a surprise that Buster Posey was good. You know, I mean, he's old, but he's a Hall of Fame player, you know, so I feel like with all of the youth and you see teams like the Rays, like can turn their entire roster over, like just churning constantly, you could still win with a roster of straight veterans that just have good years. And I guess at the same token, that's the testament to why it's strange that the Yankees have had a bad year offensively. Yeah, because they've had a lot of veterans who should, you know, theoretically have been a lot better than they actually are. So, right. It's yeah, endlessly frustrating. And I was going to say, like, at least they did go in at the deadline to add to the team and how they, and how they did with bringing Rizzo and Gallo. And Rizzo's been okay. Gallo's been frustrating. But I mean, you appreciate the, at least in that terms, the effort of like, let's try to do something here because this is the time. And, you know, I think the Blue Jays are also been a, benefiting from an impressively good year from Marcus Simeon, who they got on a one-year contract. And man, if the, Oakland A's had Semyon again, those two teams would be flip-flopped, right? <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of crazy how I was thinking about it watching the game yesterday that, yeah, the Blue Jays were essentially able to take their 2015 team juggernaut offense, just like wipe the slate clean completely and then just replace it almost like batter for batter where you have these, you know, all these guys are like 130, 140 OPS plus hitters just back to back to back to back to back. And again, it's like the Yankees put a lot of those players on the field. So you ask those questions about, is it development? Is it scouting? Is it coaching? It's like, again, it makes you like WFAN crazy where you're pinning everything against the, the chalkboard or whatever, because you don't understand why things aren't connecting the way they should be. And that's, that's baseball, I guess. Yeah, that's baseball season, you know, the <laughs> old baseball axiom. But uh, something we should do with uh, Kunj likes to do this uh, on the podcast, and I will do that in his absence since he always likes to check in on the baseball reference 221 Yankees page, see who's top leaders in that, just how they change yep. from week to week. And one thing that's funny that I did notice over the past week, uh, Garrett Cole and Aaron Judge have flip-flopped up at the top. Judge had passed Cole for a little bit, but because Judge has been in this miserable over 21 slide, he has fallen behind Cole. And uh, another one small thing is Corey Kluber is no longer on there. Uh, Lucas Slicky is uh, in the very back of the leaderboard there at number 12. So uh, I guess, hello, Lucas. <laughs> and um, DJ LeMahieu would just slide in further and further back. Yeah, the word the word leaderboards generally are very strange to me because again, like I said, I didn't really look at all of them, especially like baseball reference. I look at the Fangraphs one, but yeah, Loisaga having three war this year surprised me a lot, and Montgomery having what will almost be a four war season was incredibly surprising to me. Which didn't surprise me that he now I think is Boris Corp for his his agent, which. I think that's evidence enough that they're looking at the same numbers that that we are, you know, that if you're that good as a starting pitcher, you're probably pretty valuable. Yeah. I thought um, he was someone else, but maybe I'm wrong. Oh, no, you're right. Okay. Yeah. Oh. This like just, I think that just happened like probably this week. Yeah. Well, 
Good for uh, good for Jordan Montgomery then. <laughs> Get his money. Okay. So uh, after that, I think we'll take a short ad break and we'll be right back. And we're back. So we will take a, a brief pause from the 2021 Yankees to go back into the past a little bit because uh, on the day that we're recording, uh, Derek Jeter entered the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown today. So that was a fun ceremony with uh, great speeches from uh, Ted Simmons and uh, Larry Walker in addition to Jeter. So fun day in Cooperstown. Did you watch any of the ceremonies or the speeches? No, I actually didn't get a chance to watch it today. Um, I did obviously read about, you know, the different clips, you know, some of the quips that that Jeter made. Um, Obviously, he had a pretty big contingent of people um, to watch the affair. You know, I was lucky enough to go to Cooperstown maybe right before COVID started. My brother goes to school up close to there. So I I like the town. I like the area. And I, I thought it looked like a really nice event, you know, even though it looked like, you know, obviously with everything going on, um, you know, it didn't look like packed, which is probably a good thing, you know, all, all things considered. Yeah. Um, but it was still nice, you know, that it happened. Um, and yeah, I mean, as, as we'll talk about, obviously funny to see like the discourse, like coming up, like, like tulips at the beginning of spring, like you put that bulb in and you know, like Jeter overrated, like Jeter defensive run saved, like that flower is going to bloom every year, every time the discussion comes up. Yeah, it's like putting a, a light outside in, in summer and watching mosquitoes flock to it because <laughs> people just love to talk about, you know, oh, uh, Derek Jeter's not this good. People overrate Derek Jeter, then we get the discourse and it sucks because <laughs> all the sides are annoying, but it, the most annoying people are the ones who are like, oh, well, Jeter wasn't even good or he's ba- like, oh, he's just basically the same as like, I don't know, the insert random like 2000s baseball player here. So then the discourse, you know, got into the whole Jeter Nomar thing again, which was really annoying because, you know, Nomar was not healthy enough to have Jeter's career. And it's like people don't want to acknowledge that he had like almost 3,500 hits. And that's, this guy's really good. I know that he was not the best shortstop in the world, but whatever. I, I, I was thinking about it more today. I don't know if it was because of the, the Hall of Fame, but just it's happened so many times that it like, it almost, there's nothing else to be said, you know, about what people say about it, you know, because all you can do is comment on what someone else said. But I mean, like the no more ones I are sort of easily right offable because again, that's just someone wanted him to be better. They saw that he was good and knew that he would have been better if he played, but he didn't. So that again, that's just like, like I said, copium category for that because they just try to wish fulfill with saying that an alternate reality on earth Two, you know, no more was in the hall of fame. And that's, you know, unfortunate for them. But I sort of feel like the wider, you know, discussion is like psychologically fascinating. I feel like people have, there's, there's like deep psychological reasons why people have this like distaste towards sort of why people like him. Because really what, what they're talking about is like in people's minds, they don't like the way like Derek Jeter gets ranked amongst other athletes in other people's minds. So they imagine some other human has a ranking of athletes in their head and they're saying, no, 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 we need to reshuffle that ranking in your mind so he's lower and so-and-so is higher. And I don't really understand why that's the, I mean, I kind of do. I think it has something to do with the fact that they just don't like the fact that like Sports are weird, but sports aren't always necessarily about like you had the most of something or like you were the best player at all times, but also just about like you happen to be in the right place at the right time. 
so much about being an athlete and being successful is just being lucky too. I mean, we talked about it so many times about like this core quote unquote core versus the core four. And so much of it was really just good luck that they didn't get injured. And Jeter had some pretty bad injuries through his career. I mean, there could, there could be some alternate reality with that 2003, you know, injury where he starts the season that could have yeah. ruined his career, but it didn't happen. So, you know, all, all you know is what happened. And I feel like people are extrapolating out and saying, oh, well, because he wasn't as good as he could have been, the teams that, you know, were good with him on it, it's like he gets undue credit for that. And it's like, okay, so then what do you want? Do you want them, A, I mean, A, obviously you want them to have won fewer world championships. That would have solved that problem. Or <laughs> would you have liked, like, someone else to get credit? Would you like to have, like, all everybody get, I just don't understand what, like, the remediative action is supposed to be, where then, okay, like, Order is restored to the universe and people properly rate this person the way I expect it to be. And I find that, again, just very fascinating that it compels people to just say, like, the the most ridiculous stuff online. Oh, yeah. And it just because they don't want people to disagree with, like, their own personal valuation of things. And, like, that's fine. Maybe maybe Jeter would have had more war if he had been at third base. Okay, big whoop. I mean, the Yankees did really, really well anyway. So it's not like that made that much of a difference. They didn't lose any World Series because of their Jeter at shortstop as opposed to a better one. And, you know, he held down the position and he became a very, very important player in baseball history, especially concerning how um, baseball appeals less to a national audience now than when Jeter was playing. I mean, I would say it's still pretty big but it's more local market centered instead of national star whereas like now probably even now you'd find like a lot of people who recognize Derek Jeter's name but might not have the same recognizability of like uh, Mike Trout or a Bryce Harper or even or Fernando Tatis Jr. or anything like that the Jeter reach was just wider and part of that was a credit to how often the Yankees were in the World Series and in the national spotlight but even still he was the best position player on like those teams basically yeah and it's not like you know i mean i I guess like it's not really a comp but i guess people use the same example for like joe namath or whatever but i don't even think it's comparable because he played a relatively shorter career in you know in the in the nfl compare because obviously of the merger and everything so i sort of feel like maybe it's not the best comparison but people use the same sort of like quips like oh he was overrated and he got into the hall of fame because of that one you know, super whatever, but it's like, okay, but he was a celebrity and, you know, and it was like, again, like you said, it, it changes when it becomes cultural and it becomes something that's like part of pop culture. While I don't think, you know, Nomar Garciaparra escapes anything beyond like mid 2000 pop culture. Well, again, like I said, what is really the point of being mad that Alan Trammell, you know, wasn't like a successful celebrity? Um, I, I don't know is that if you want him to also be a celebrity in that paparazzi like I, again I don't see exactly or you know do you, would you you want to live in an ultra valley where Derek Jeter played for the Royals and then you know he didn't I just don't understand what they what, what, what people who say that really want but again like you said it's 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 ultimately to justify like, your own valuation of things like how you see the world and then also to justify like yourself because like most people who say that, not everyone who says it, but a lot of people say it are like reporters, writers, like the media also self-replicates this discussion. And I feel like that's a that's a group of people that also feel like very insecure about, you know, their own merits of like where they are, you know, obviously the way the industry is. So I feel like they have a big hand in like replicating that conversation every time. Morally correct and better. Yeah. The best part of it too is like how mad other people get about Derek Jeter, where it's like, I'm not even mad at them for like 
being bad it's just like what are you guys even doing <laughs> it's more just like a mild confusion than anything else and you know whatever you do what you want Derek Jeter's in the hall of fame whatever he's he's a good dude <laughs> yeah and like like we talked about separately outside of this podcast like people will be even more mad when Salvador Perez gets induction to the hall of fame and they don't really see the the warbirds come out yeah <laughs> well in any case, we'll move on from Derek Jeter at that point. We skipped the meet a baby bomber segment, and we'll call that, like, I guess, meet a Hall of Famer segment because you know, <laughs> Jeter's there now. So good for him. But unless you have anything else, we can move on to the Yankee and Meteor of the Week. Yep. Um, I would be happy to. All right. Let's do it. The Yankee and Mitre of the Week. <laughs> Carhorn's back. All right. Who is your Yankee of the Week? All right. Let's see. My Yankee of the Week is. Not a lot of choices this week. I yeah, say. I got. I got. I actually got to think about this one. My Yankee of the week is probably it's a addition by subtraction. The Yankee of the week is Cole by addition. Him, his one good start, and then obviously his short start, but still better than what most players did the past week. But 100%. also taking taking himself out of the game probably saves him a, a decent amount for the rest of the year. And it seems like so far that you know just based on the early diagnosis that if he continued to pitch um, or he didn't stop himself, because he did mention that, you know, if it was a normal like game, he would have just continued. I'm sure if it was like a do or die playoff game sort of situation, or if it was late down the stretch in September, yeah, maybe you try to gut yourself through that because I don't know, just Garrett Cole, like 50% maybe injured more than some other guys, but you know, this is still early September. There's wiggle room. You, you don't need to force yourself through that. If you might end up on the shelf for two or three weeks. Yeah. And I, and I was saying to you before the podcast started, when I was at the game, I don't know if it was on the TV broadcast, but like right before he was taken out of the game, he huddled up with the infield. And like I said, my theory is that he basically told them, all right, I don't have it. Um, I don't feel right. And like, I'll probably be out of the game soon. And yeah. I feel like he was, I feel like he sort of gave them the heads up that that was happening. And I feel like that's a pretty good thing to do as a player, like a pretty important thing at this time of the year where like he's going to get a handful of starts that he, they basically have to win all of them. So if he wasn't available, you're talking about, yeah, Heaney, you know, potentially being the replacement pitcher for him. So I think that that makes him the Yankee of the week. And that's not really saying much. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, I mean, you had the one really, really great start where he struck out 15 angels. So right, kudos to right, that. Exactly. And he left with the team trailing three to one and they weren't scoring more than three runs last night. So whatever. <laughs> My Yankee of the week is going to be Anthony Rizzo, which is again, not really a shining beacon of like, oh my God, this guy's been the hottest player in the world. It honestly has more of the feel of the, you know, Montefiore Yankee player of the week during the first half when Clint Frazier, won, I think, won it one week when he like had like three hits and it's like, oh, someone got hits. <laughs> Rizzo, yeah, he, yeah. Rizzo got some hits. He's been one of the few people in the lineup who's been routinely getting hits over the past week. So congratulations, Anthony Rizzo. This is a very 2012 Cubs situation for you. You are the Yankee of the week. <laughs> I, I, he was kind of number two, but I almost felt bad picking a player that was like, really, it was only singles to the opposite side that, that, that would have gotten him Yankee of the week. So I felt that'd be kind of weird. Yeah. But I guess that's good. I mean, if everyone else was hitting, it would be better. It seemed like he's been hitting in better, you know, in, in important situations. I hate to be again in WFM caller mode, but I, I feel like he is a good, like 
quote unquote clutch hitter, like he would be a good hitter in an important situation. So to see him sort of slap the ball the other way and like sort of fight his way out of a, a slump sort of, I guess, maybe has some hope for the rest of the players if, if he's capable of doing that. Yeah. And honestly, it's, we can criticize, maybe they shouldn't have been so quick to put Voight on the bench for some of these games and that maybe he wasn't as hot as he could have been, but that's also depending on how sustainable hot is. And also the fact that with Rizzo hitting, you're not really losing a ton with Voight out of the lineup. So whatever Void's just got to hit better sorry yeah I mean I that they went in you know into the trade deadline not knowing sort of what's it and I think that what they did was fine you yeah. know you played a hot hand with the better hitter and I think having two, two good hitters who you know one's hot one's cold I don't think that's a bad situation to have really no it's a the Yankees sort of found themselves in a very Dodgers situation there where they had too many position players and that's a good problem to have because sometimes you know you'll have a Cody Bellinger in the slump from hell and you'll need to have your random guys off the bench. You can step in. So good. <laughs> I should mention the only other guy I thought about for Yankee of the week, thought about Jeter, thought about Bernie Williams, just because he played the national anthem on the guitar. Right. And Bernie Williams <laughs> yeah. always rules. So might as well give him Yankee of the week. So whatever. <laughs> but who do you have for your Mitre of the week of the many selections? <laughs> For Mitre, I actually got to go with Judge. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's had a really, really bad week. Um, I mean, I will say, to, to put an asterisk on that, the, the game that I went to, it did look like he he was hitting a lot of balls, like, in, not very luckily. Like he, I mean, that's sort of been the story of the season, right? Yeah. But the game, the game yesterday, there were a lot of balls on the track, and that was Stan included as well. So it seems like he's just missing. But I mean, that is baseball, right? If you're not good, it means you're not, it means you're just missing. You know, as of now, that's been a big drag. It's like you said, when they're not hitting, you're waiting for the the, the order to turn over so that you get at least another, you know, run at Judge Stanton in a row. And right. when, you know, when Judge is just like, just misses in and flies out to right center field, when that could be a home run in a different situation, that's a complete, basically a completely different game. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, it's like we were talking about in the beginning of the podcast where it's like, as Judge and Stanton go, so do the Yankees because the rest of the lineup has not been consistent enough this year to make a difference. So if they are, happen to be in one of their brief non-hitting spells, then yeah, Yankees are going to lose some ball games, and that's what's happened. So turn it around, Judge. You're better than that. <laughs> All right. My Mitre of the Week is going to be a shared honor between our two IL recovery boys, Glaber Torres and Gio Urshela, mm-hmm. because... Neither of them have been hitting. Glaber technically is a higher average than Urshela, but he also had like a fluky infield single in there. So they're basically hitting the same thing. And they've also been playing pretty poorly in the field too. And that's, you know, with Glaber, you pretty much expect it. But even still, it was like a rude awakening. Be like, oh yeah, that's right. You do suck at shortstop still. And, but even Gio has been kind of choppy at third too. And while Gio is not as good a defender as like the eye test says, he's still more reliable than he's been showing in the past week. So there's a reason that both of them have ended up on the bench for at least a, a short little spell here. Yeah, I, I think Torres has been like, like I said, very typified of the, you know, the, the identity crisis because, you know, how many times did people say like his age or whatever, like every time he did something good. Yeah. And now, you know, obviously you're not going to mention his age or like what the plan is now that he's not, because again, going into next year, you, you have no idea, you know, what their plan and whether they go out and sign, you no. know, uh, a shortstop or whether they just roll with him, whether they try to move him to another position. It's just like, it's genuinely to me, like I said, I, I'm curious, but also nervous about whatever they, they happen to decide to do with him. 
Yeah, it sort of reminds me of the he's not having as bad a season, but sort of the post 2020 Gary discourse because Gary had such a nightmare season in 2020. But the difference of course is that Gary plays catcher and sometimes can play it well versus Glaber has been at this point, pretty proven to be kind of shoehorned in a shortstop. And I don't know if that's the long-term answer. And especially if he's not hitting, I think his bat will eventually pick up, but it's, probably not to the 2019 levels. And there is a lot of concern for long-term and that's for Gio. You don't really know exactly because his 2019 came out of nowhere. Obviously he was great last year too, but maybe that wasn't going to be a very long peak anyway. It's very Scott Brocious, honestly. Yeah. I mean, it's very possible. I mean, it's it, like I said, it's a very, it's a very hard thing to tell because like similar to the hot street, cold street thing, you know, when things are real, like it very much looks like whatever, you know, the adjustments that Urshela made with his swing were real and they were making real results but yeah it's funny how like i think that the 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 juice ball situation even though it didn't have as big of an effect i think as you may you would think but i think that definitely had some sort of mental impact because you think about those balls against you know the warning track or whatever um those would be home runs you know last year possibly so that can definitely affect your confidence. And if you've built your whole game and your whole offensive game plan around how do we tell your swing um, when the ball is, is flying a certain way and then it just doesn't, um, it gets really hard to then readjust. And, and you have to wonder whether they just come up with a new game plan entirely or, like I said, they have to then choose new players that fit that mode of playing better. Yeah, it's going to be a tricky offseason for Cashman to suss out what he's going to do long term with the infield. You talk about a difference in like season to season where uh, the Yankees came off of 2020 with an infield of Gio at third, Glaber at shortstop, DJ at second, and Void at first. And they all, other than, I mean, Glaber's year was very so so, and this has been a continuation, but you were still, he was still young enough where you thought he's probably going to rebound. And granted, he still is young, but the rest of the guys, you didn't really see these declines or injuries coming. And now all of a sudden, Cashman's got some big offseason decisions to make. And obviously, we'll circle back to them at, the, at that point, since we don't need to engage deeply in offseason discussion when we're still in September. But it's something to watch going forward. Yeah, definitely. And like so much, like just like the whole year has been defined by the narrative, obviously how it how it ends, even if it ends like I mean, obviously, most likely they, they end in the, in the wildcard game or that's the most likely scenario um, where they end one series after the wildcard game. Like you mentioned, you know, it really depends on depends on how they how they end the season and whether, you know, you feel like they went above the expectations that they set midway through the year or they end up falling short. If they obviously don't make the playoffs, you know, people are obviously going to be soul searching again. But if, you know, they make a small run and maybe they get to the LCS or they get deep into the LDS, people look at it and say, oh, well, actually, all things considered, it wasn't too bad because we didn't really expect them to get that far because of how bad they looked. Then people maybe don't have that. The team doesn't have that identity crisis. Maybe you want them to have an identity crisis and that'll force the front office to make changes. So it's a very funny situation where, yeah, they are at this like weird fork in the road. And, you know, I don't necessarily think that the front office is going to overreact to whatever the situation is, but it is a sense where there will be some external pressure of how the season ends and how dramatic or anticlimactic it is could could make the, could force them into the situation to make those certain moves, just like it did at the trade deadline. They obviously felt, you know, inclined to, to push their ships forward a little bit more. And they did, you know, obviously want to have Gallo for next year as I'm watching, you know, Brett Gardner inside the game. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, uh, I, I was going to say, like, I guess probably the reaction here is uh, I think we need to extend Brett Gardner for another three years. <laughs> you well, will never the, leave the Yankees. It's <laughs> the perfect example where how he's doing at the end of the year or how he does in a situation will define whether they decide to sign him or not. Because they him being, you know, okay, not even really, but kind of okay in the previous year and two is what kept him in this year. And that's what force him into the position to play every single day. So like I said, even though I don't expect them to totally overreact to these decisions, it is funny how these like micro narratives, you know, really do change, you know, how they construct the, the roster. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a long journey to get to that point. We'll see where the, the rest of the season ends up taking the Yankees. It's obviously a bit of a rough patch right now, but as John Griffin pointed out in an article recently, the Yankees have shown the ability to very quickly jump on one of these hot streaks again and maybe ride that and go to a long playoff run. And that would make things a lot better, and I'm rooting for that. But it racks your nerves. So we'll just see what happens, and we will be with you every week of the way until the bitter end, whenever that might be. So, but I appreciate you uh, pinch hitting for uh, Kunj on this podcast here. Yeah, of course. Like I said, I, it's, I've been out of the, the game, so to speak, a while. So like I said, even doing the whole searching the cross tabs and, and getting prepared for something like this was something I, I haven't like stretched that muscle in a little while, but I feel like this has been the kind of year where I needed like a cathartic moment to, to get my energy out about this season. Because like I said, most seasons, I don't think I would have this much to say um, about what's going on a day-to-day basis. But I feel like, like I said, the narrative changes constantly. And uh, and I consider, I get angrier and angrier as, as, as each day goes on. <laughs> yeah. The thing that uh, I try to do the least is think about where everyone said that the Yankees were at the beginning of the season, the preseason projections, where it's like, oh, yeah, this team will probably be the American League favorite. And now it's turned into fighting for playoff lives because they're not hitting like they're supposed to. So great fun. Great fun. <laughs> so that'll do it for us on the Pinstrip Alley podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Pinstrip Alley. You can follow me on Twitter at Merns PSA. You can follow Matt on Twitter at MattProve94. And uh, you can follow Kunj on Twitter at, um, I don't know, let's see, uh, at Billy Ray Cyrus, we'll say. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I have a feeling, I just have a feeling that Billy Ray Cyrus is a direct line to Kunj, wherever he happens to be. <laughs> well, this season has been completely the image of Billy Ray Cyrus saying much to think about. <laughs> yeah, honestly, there you go. There you go. Either way, 2021 truly was an old town road or something. (laughs) All right. Well, that'll do it for us. Thanks for joining us. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye, everyone.